Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Everything 80s Podcast, Episode 11, The Story of the Power Glove. I love the Power Glove. It's so bad. Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast brought to you by Everything80spodcast.com. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. And we're talking about one of the kind of like underappreciated video game accessories of all time, and that is the Nintendo Power Glove. I think there is still sort of an association as it being kind of a joke and a novelty, which part like I, I would say it is a novelty, and especially like with the intro there from the wizard which was basically a 90 minute commercial for super mario brothers 3 but also trying to integrate integrate the power glove kind of into the culture and and trying to push it as the kind of must have video game accessory that you can't play video games without it so i mean i i think we kind of look back in sort of a mockingly way but it's actually got a lot of interesting science and development that went behind it and like i said probably a little underappreciated so this show will be all about the story of the Power Glove. But before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I should be there. If you're listening on the YouTube machine, uh, you can subscribe there, all that fun stuff. Okay, let's do this. So if this is completely new to you, if you're listening to a podcast based around the 80s, you're probably familiar with what I'm talking about. Just in case, the Nintendo Power Glove was an accessory for the Nintendo Entertainment System that came out in 1989. It was a glove that would control, um, kind of look like Thanos glove. It would control the whole play of certain video games. There's a lot of hype from commercials pushing it. And like I said, with the movie The Wizard, but it was hard to use, which we'll get into. It sold poorly and it quickly disappeared. So I only got to use one once. I forget where it was a friend's house growing up that I don't think I actually really knew that well, but other kids knew him and this kid had a power glove. So you instantly pretended to like him. And I, all I remember was it being super frustrating, kind of like playing the ET video game. If you ever played that, listen to that podcast. I have all about the history of that thing. So, but the concept was crazy cool. It's a glove that let you play video games but if you owned one or if you ever used one, you know it was more frustrating than useful and kind of seem 
pointless. And like I said, because maybe the technology was a little bit ahead of itself and couldn't catch up with the gameplay. So, it, but it did have a lot of promise. And it's interesting that the whole thing, like the Nintendo Power Glove, has roots in music. It has connections to NASA. It had a very elaborate design process, and then you know the release blew it through the roof, and then it's become sort of a forgotten video game accessory. So the Power Glove was a product of two other companies before it became owned by Mattel and associated with Nintendo. So one was called VPL Research, and the other was Abrams Gentile Entertainment, and they were the original driving force behind the Power Glove, but it started out being called the Data Glove. So the Data Glove was a creation of a guy named Thomas Zimmerman, and he was an MIT undergraduate, and this is where the Power Glove has its connections to music. So as a kid, Zimmerman was obsessed with orchestras and especially watching the conductors as they led symphonies, things like that. So as when he was a kid, he would pretend to lead an orchestra by air conducting it, and you know, instead of playing air guitar to old twisted sister songs like I did. So he, I don't, this, this idea was just kind of uh, like embedded in his brain and he held on to this idea into his adulthood and he wanted to create some sort of device that could create music by waving your hand. So the, as early as 1980 is when they already, well, he already came up with a, a prototype and this, <laughs> the early power glove was made of an old gardening glove and then some LED tubes that could indicate finger bend based on the amount of light that would pass through the tubes. So Zimmerman knows he's got a pretty good concept on his hand, and but doesn't know what the application for it will be. He actually ends up working for Atari when he first moved to California. So he believed this, like this data glove concept, was a natural fit to do with anything or for anything to do with video games. And especially considering Atari is really the only game in town, it would make sense to get involved with them. So, well, the problem is, again, I mentioned the E.T. video game, and if you're familiar with that or the uh, video game crash of 1983, when the E.T. video game came out in 82, it was seen as one of, some say it was directly responsible, but others say it was just sort of like, the tip of the iceberg of sinking the entire company. Um, the the whole, like the video game crash happens around 1983, which was going from two to $3 billion a year down to like a couple hundred million. And, you know, ET might not have been the sole cause of it. It was a lot of other factors, but basically everything sunk. And a lot of companies had, didn't want anything to do with video games anymore, which seems really weird to think about when you think how powerful the video game industry and just as a culture it is. But going into like 1984, 1985, uh, like Atari was basically broken up and sold off by 84, I believe. And so for that little period, it was just like no one wanted anything to do with video games. So at before they went belly up, Atari was they were only mildly interested in the data glove and they would offer Zimmerman $10,000 for it. It's a decent, you know, amount of money in those days, but not for something that had really tremendous possibilities. So the one good thing that came from Zimmerman working at Atari was he met a guy named Jaron Lanier. And so when the video game crash hits in 83, they're both laid off. 
but they went on to create this VPL research company. So Lanier had, he was pretty loaded and Zimmerman was the design concept behind it. So they're kind of ready to get rocking, sort of like a Steve Jobs, Wozniak situation, um, a creative person and someone who was just like the logistical straightforward um, guy on the, on the project. So the data glove was really improving now too. I mean, every, you know, six months, year that goes by tech, you know, technology advances and improves. So now he's added some optical flex sensors to track the hand movements and a magnetic sensor that could detect the glove in a magnetic field. So think of this field as simply like the area from a TV to the glove in front of it. And it would be able to work in that, um, that range. So VPL actually made some interesting models and prototypes of the glove that included also included head sensors and kind of looked a lot like today's virtual reality headsets. So this technology is, you know, showing some promise and it's actually getting some interest from non-video game based companies. Like I said, video games kind of were non-existent at this point. It was like Nintendo still hasn't saved the whole industry yet. So they're kind of looking at other options. So MIT and NASA were interested in the glove for research and development. And so were a bunch of other research and development companies. So the data gloves a really hot commodity in the scientific community, but Zimmerman still had this desire to be connected to video games. So VPL signs, um, it's not the video games were completely gone. They were just completely sunk. You know, they were, still there but they were maybe going to be more of a fringe sort of thing more like a really niche kind of genre and like if you think one of the things that did that is seen as responsible for for sinking atari and everything like that was actually the kind of evolution and um development of the home computer especially things like the commodore 64 because now they were like you know in the apple and the apple 2 and the commodore did a big thing around the same time where they just dropped their prices huge. So now more people were seeing that it was kind of practical to have a computer. And especially if you're looking from a video game aspect, these computers could do all, they could play all those games, but you could do so much more with them now. So they're starting to show up in more and more houses. So video games are still in the mix. They're just in a different kind of format. So you know, like so Zimmerman's still wanting to be involved. So they signed a licensing deal with uh, Abrams Gentile Entertainment and called AGE, and they also wanted to be in the video game uh, business. They didn't know how, but they finally thought they had their entry with this data glove. But they had one problem. All the technical advancements Zimmerman had made, like th- this thing is pretty revolutionary. And it's working, but the problem is it's expensive as hell to make. And when you think of your primary target for video games, it's kids and teenagers and people with not a lot of disposable income. And no one's going to want to be shelling out a ton. So this is nuts. If you go check out the show notes for this episode. So that's this is like the full blog. It's got all the pictures of all the original prototypes and everything like that. So it's everything 80s podcast dot com slash 11 if you're listening on youtube there'll be a, like a link below but definitely go and check it because you can see the development of this whole thing and so 
it's crazy because so AG has the rights to this new technology, but the material cost to make one of these gloves is ten grand. This just really restricts. I mean, I don't even know who would buy one of these things except you know those people who just have money to burn and want any of the like the best new technology. But how they're going to a- apply this to getting it into the kids' hands or to families is just not going to be practical. Obviously, for ten grand, and this is like eighty three, so that's more like thirty grand. So. To get it available to the public, they had to get the cost under a hundred dollars, and that's, I mean, an insane drop. If you look at to make this thing work, what was required? I, I, they don't know how they're just they're going to get this thing under a hundred bucks. So, AGs they've been trying to get in the video game market for a while, and they'd already actually been making some toys for Hasbro. So they approached Hasbro about creating a whole new 3D video game system. And because they've got, like, it's, it's crazy. It's the early '80s, and they already had this technology. Um, I mean, the technology is so ahead of its time, but it usually takes a couple decades before it's more applicable to the public. And when the costs start to come down, and and that's just the case here. So you're, we're always a little bit behind as far as mainstream usage. So they've got this awesome video game system that's in 3D. The problem is Hasbro has signed a licensing deal with Nintendo, who's just starting to come out, and they're going to make a G.I. Joe game because Hasbro owned G.I. Joe. I mean, like, Nintendo hasn't totally caught on yet, um, but they still want to be involved in uh, licensing franchises and stuff like like G.I. Joe's just plastering themselves everywhere as far as um, branding and everything like that. So... They're interested, but they're seeing like there's going to be a conflict of interest here. So then AG reaches out to Mattel, who likes the glove, but they're like one of those other companies hesitant to get back into the video game industry because they got burned really bad when the crash happened in 83. They lost around $200 million in their electronics division. And I don't know if you remember they in television, that was them. And when the industry went belly up, this whole division went. So... They don't really want to touch anything. But the story goes that AG did a demo with a new prototype hooked up to a TV um, and and with a Nintendo. And they were using Mike Tyson's Punch-Out to demonstrate it. So they brought in the CEO. And on her first shot, she knocked out. Do you remember Glass Joe in it? I mean, not hard to knock him out. That was one of the easiest characters. But on her first punch using the thing, she knocks out Glass Joe. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right on the spot, she says they're on board with the power glove. 
So, well, actually, AG is still calling it the Data Glove at this point, and they wanted to make a whole video game system based around it, but Mattel thought it would be better to make it as an accessory to the NES. And Mattel was a great name and they're, you know, they're obviously brilliant marketers and at the the top of the toy industry. So you couldn't really argue against them. And especially when there might not be any interest from anyone else. So they had to kind of go with this. So this leads up to the fake CES demonstration. So, you know, the, the big consumer electronics show, which is obviously massive now, still was back then, but just not at the level it is, but still a very important way. I mean, it was harder to get any products in front of people because without internet or blogs or review sites or, or whatever, it was just hard to showcase all your stuff. So it's still very important for manufacturers and distributors and everything like that. So the CEO of Mattel, Jill Berard, who knocked Glass Joe out, she's a huge champion for the Data Glove and wanted to get it demonstrated at that year's consumer electronics show. So um, it's like, it's still extremely important. The problem is it's only three months away. So AG puts together a prototype just one month before the show and they had a demo of it like ready to go. So the demo obviously blows people away, but it turns out it wasn't the most legit thing in the world. They hired a, a child actor to pose as a random kid in the crowd kind of like a Kearney um, County Fair situation. Uh, so this random actor kid, um, and the glove he used wasn't even hooked into an NES, but into an Amiga computer. So the kid was kind of coached on how the gameplay would go, so he's pretending to play it even though he wasn't actually playing it. This is, um, I don't know if this is like common knowledge, but when... This is similar to the very first, the iPhone keynote. If you've ever watched that, when Steve Jobs first introduced the iPhone, they actually had, well, he actually had multiple iPhones behind that speaker podium he used. You notice in other um, keynotes and stuff, it's just, or to this day, it's a lot of the time it's just them walking around on stage. And when he introduced the iPod, it was just him on stage with the pot, it was in his pocket. On the iPhone keynote, he's got this podium, the speaker thing, um, and they had multiple phones behind it to use for different features and functions as there was a worry a single one wasn't really ready yet or able to perform all those functions live. So some of those iPhones were programmed to run select features like if he's showing pictures or mail, uh, like how to get email and stuff, um, and they, they programmed those and designed it to make it look like he was doing it all live. They also, and you can go back and watch all this, they also hard-coded five full bars at the top, even though where he was wasn't even close to getting a full signal. I think they were at like a bar, maybe two, but they hard-coded in these, this full signal. So, I mean, this kind of always happens, and despite this you know, snake oil salesman approach, a bunch of retailers are all over the data glove, and they place orders on the spot. At the end of the show, 700,000 orders had been put in. So now they've got to put this thing together. So like, even though Mattel was putting out the Power Glove, AGE was responsible for actually physically putting it together and getting that price point under $100. Well, um, 
now they've got to have it only cost around when you, you know when you have the product markups to your overheads and all that stuff it's got to cost them around 16 to 18 dollars to make if they want to be able to say it sell it for a hundred dollars and make a profit on it so they obviously now have to compromise on that original technology so the first thing they do they take out all the fiber optic sensors because they're crazy expensive especially back then then they also had to cut out the very usable magnet magnet sensor that was what would detect the glove in front of the screen and that's what made the thing work so well and that was probably the biggest uh, sacrifice they had to make and probably what led to the downfall of it is taking out what was the real function of the power glove in this magnetic sensor then again this thing is you know kind of looking like i said an ugly garden glove now they've got to design the thing and you know it's you have to go online and just look up these old images. It's kind of like an old half Edward Scissorhands, half garden glove kind of monstrosity put together. They need to make the thing look pretty cool. So they go to a company called Image Design and Marketing, and they're the ones who came up with giving it more of this really like futuristic RoboCop type look. So, they got the cost down, they give it a new look, and they showed Nintendo that it was a legit accessory that would have a very long lasting life. So, this takes us to the movie The Wizard. And I love The Wizard. Uh, starring a young Fred Savage, it told the story of a boy and his brother on a road trip to California. And the younger brother, Jimmy, is the wizard get it he's a wizard at video games and when this is discovered the goal is to get him to video armageddon in california which is a gaming tournament with a fifty thousand dollar prize and i hope you've seen this if you've not if you haven't spoiler alert jimmy wins the tournament so you know like i feel like me well maybe it's more limited me or anyone my age around in the 80s way too stupid to realize we're watching a 90 minute nintendo commercial but no one could give a crap. It, the, the movie to me was huge. The fact that they could debut um, things that we'd never heard of before, like the, you just could, you going into these things totally fresh. There's no real spoilers. Um, but I still loved it. I loved it so much that I ripped off the entire storyline to write my own version of it for an English project in grade seven. And obviously the teacher had not seen it. But if they ever saw The Wizard, they know I tried to screw them over. So, again, this movie's monumental for the two big reasons. The first was it was the first display of Super Mario Brothers 3, which was completely unknown about, hadn't been released yet. Like, you can just imagine the brain of a kid seeing Super Mario Brothers 3 for the first time. And if you saw the movie, you remember this. It was a good time when you you could just debut things and have them be a complete surprise, which is impossible today. The other thing is it introduces the power glove. Um, again, the movie's not critically loved. I don't think it was ever intended to be, but it it did its job as being a vehicle for launching the new game and the new glove. And Mario three went on to be one of the best selling games of all time. And again, with this iconic debut of the power glove, there's no way you did not want one after seeing this. Um, it go again if you haven't seen the show notes or if you're at least on YouTube look up the early commercials to the power glove 
And if you're like an 11 year old kid, there's no way you're not flipping out over that thing. So side note, I don't remember if you remember Toby Maguire is actually one of the bullies in the wizard. I did not recall that. So I was looking back on it. So another brilliant move, the wizard, um, comes out 10 days before Christmas and that with all the commercials lead the power glove to becoming one of the top selling toys of 1989. And I don't remember the movie being up that close to Christmas, but obviously that was the full intent, which is cutting it pretty close. If you think about it, when a lot of people get their shopping done like two months before Christmas or at least like six weeks out, but whatever it worked. Problem is it wasn't exactly a plug and play scenario right out of the box to set up the power glove. If you had one, you remember this. And I remember my friend or this kid talking about this whole thing. You had to calibrate it first. You had to hold your hand out and make a fist. If you didn't, the operating system didn't know what was your fist and what was your hand. And if you screwed up any part of this calibrating process, the glove just would not work properly. So it took a while to do, and you had to keep up your hand for this like long period for it to be recognized and everything. And then you also had to enter a code properly. Basically, there was a lot of stages where the glove could end up not being properly calibrated. And that means it just, the functionality wouldn't be there. A big issue when the power glove came out was there wasn't really power glove specific games. It, it did work technically with all games. Like we, it could use the controls and the functions, but it worked a lot better with games. It was designed for the, the problem is, is there really wasn't anything available specifically for it. Cause Mattel was just concerned with getting the thing out there. That was probably their biggest mistake. They probably should have released more games with it or improved on the functionality. I think they thought, I don't know if their their thought was like, whatever, we'll make a huge splash with this and then just discontinue it. I don't know if they had long-term game with it or goal with it. I have no idea. The problem is the Power Glove made games a lot more difficult and you were just likely to put it down and pick up the regular controller, which was still like one of the most flawless controller designs ever. So, you know, but despite that, it had strong initial sales in North America, especially in Japan, actually. Over there, it was advertised in this awesome like RoboCop campaign and whatever. Um, But through all these different factors, it ended up selling 1.3 million units bringing in around $100 million, which if you convert for today is around $460 million, which is crazy big for what's essentially just a toy. So I mentioned there wasn't a lot that came out with it, but a game specifically for the Power Glove that was finally brought out was called Super Glove Ball. The problem is it wouldn't, it's amazing the short-sightedness sometimes these companies have. They didn't release it until a year after the Power Glove was introduced. So, like, what the hell are you supposed to play with this thing? By now, people are starting to realize the Power Glove sucks and, you know, word of mouth is spreading fast. It's similar to the E.T. Atari video game. Again, listen to that podcast I did. Um, it's such an interesting story. And it's the same thing. It had huge initial sales because there was such hype. And back then, it took longer for word of mouth to spread because, again, there weren't forums and Facebook and social media and ways to kind of share that you really dislike something. But it's it's basically nine-year-olds on playgrounds that took down the entire video game industry in 1983 and then also would take down the power glove. You know, parents don't give a crap. Like, they're just buying whatever for the kids and kind of leaving them. It's the kids talking amongst themselves. They're like, yeah, it's not actually that good. 
it's got a trickle down effect that's happening on every playground and neighborhood through North America. Give it enough time and it, it works. And that's what happened in this case. So I find it, I don't know. I find it interesting to think how things like this would fare today. I think, you know, I mean, there's immediate, if you have any dissatisfaction with anything, you immediately jump online. It's the problem. Like when, if you look at, sorry, step too far away from the microphone. If you look at, um, products or restaurants or reviews, if you really like something, you're less likely to go online to talk about it. It's not that we love to complain, but maybe we do a little. If you really love something, you're more likely going to tell your family and your friends and stuff like that. If you hate something, you're more likely to go online to vent to like strangers because you really don't care. And that's the thing with like, you know, restaurants and and, and things like that where you the reviews are going to be more um, kind of catered towards the people who dislike it. And it doesn't really reflect how the people really enjoyed it because they tend to keep it to themselves. So I don't know with stuff like this, I don't, I don't know if they would have um, like a product like the power glove would have sunk faster in this day and age because there was more information available to make the best of it. I don't know. I just, it's an interesting dynamic we have now, but so, you know, there's this quick descent of this power glove, but Mattel actually had plans for a, a power glove sequel called the Turbo Glove. And it was going to be a lighter glove with a keypad that you wore on your belt. And then they even had an idea for two other future gloves past that. So, um, I, again, I don't know what their long-term plan with this was because they didn't even seem that focused on the first one. They were thinking too far ahead. But, again, one year, almost exactly to the day, they had to pardon the pun, pulled the plug on the power glove. And that was it. So wrapping it up here, it's been 30 years since the power glove came out. And like I said, it really did have a lot of promise. It's an amazing idea, actually had some functionality and it looked cool as hell. And as much as it's partly seen as a joke from the, you know, the eighties, it's still like when you see one, you're like, oh yeah, that still kind of takes you back. Um, I don't know if you like, I don't know. You still kind of light up when you see or hear mention of the power glove, but it is actually, there are different iterations of it still being used. It's it's living on in different forms that the original technology is being embraced now to do things like controlling drones. Um, they can create music with it. You can even do stop animation. Um, it didn't, it clearly didn't live up to the hype, but I don't think that that's no fault of the designers and the creators. Everything was there to make it work, but they had their hands tied to kind of make a mass produced dumbed down version of it. And there's even, you know, prospects of it being used for medical reasons and assisted surgeries. And again, like I think we'll see it in different forms over the years. So it just might be one of those things that the technology was too ahead of its time and they, they applied it in the wrong direction into video games, but maybe that's what brings it back around and it's going to, I don't know, we'll see it as a very effective tool in the future. Okay, so that's it for me. Thanks for checking this out. Hopefully you found it interesting. I did as I researched this more, looking back, uh, a lot more went into it than I realized. So again, if you like the show, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like it, leave it a rating and review. That way more people get to see it. And again, check out the show notes for this whole thing. Everything80spodcast.com slash 11. If you're listening on YouTube, I'll link down below. Thanks for checking this out. I'll see you soon.